So who doesn't like a parade? Palm Sunday was certainly a parade to see the singing, the chanting, the palms, the cloaks lying on the ground, the fanfare for the Messiah. It was a celebration to behold. As we've already said this morning, today marks the end of Lent. We are in Holy Week now. And right before Holy Week began, Marty and I and Kelly Davis met with our JYF students, the third through the fifth graders after school, and it was Fat Tuesday, that last day of Epiphany, the day before uh, Ash Wednesday, otherwise known as Mardi Gras. When I think of Palm Sunday, when I think of any parade, I think of Mardi Gras. Now, on that day, Marty talked with our kids about Mardi Gras, how it originated as a celebration that that was centered in equality, where people from different backgrounds, different races, different ethnic backgrounds, different economic uh, backgrounds would wear masks and they would parade as one. No one could tell who was who for their faces were covered. The mask may have provided anonymity, but it also made everyone equal. Rich or poor, you couldn't tell. They celebrated together. Now, when we lived in New Orleans, we loved going to the Mardi Gras parades the best we could with two very small kids in tow. Throughout the season of Epiphany, there were parades over and over again, most of them family-friendly, too, I mind you. On Mardi Gras Day, however, there were two big parades. One was Rex. Historically, it was the largest of all the parades, the grandest. It was the parade of the wealthy, of the upper class. They would parade throughout the city, those who were connected on the main streets. And when the parade would pass the grandstand where the mayor and other dignitaries sat, they would stand and the mayor would offer a toast to the king of the parade, King Rex, who was always some well-known person in the community, even sometimes a celebrity from outside of the community. And they would toast the king. Well, after Rex was over, another parade would begin the parade Zulu. Zulu historically was the black citizens of New Orleans, a parade that was organized because they weren't allowed in the other parade crews. They couldn't join with Rex, so they started their own crew with their own King King Zulu. And they would parade on the back roads of New Orleans, on the segregated streets, through the alleys, they would parade and have a party. And if you were to go to the city and attend each parade, then you would not have any idea that the other was going on. Now, today, Zulu is allowed on the main streets, and they even parade right in front of the mayor after King Rex does, and the mayor and the other dignitaries stand and toast King Zulu, and King Zulu and King Rex meet up, and they shake hands, and it seems to bring the city back to that moment of equality, that equal spirit of which Mardi Gras began. But then the parade is over, and what happens When the parade is over. Now our text today is about what happened when that parade was over. I may have rained on our parade today choosing this scripture, all the celebration, and then we read of Jesus entering the temple. But the text begins on Palm Sunday, so I think we can legitimately say it's a Palm Sunday text. But very quickly, it moves to Monday. As it begins, the parade has just ended, and the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus ends the parade, enters Jerusalem, and goes into the temple. Perhaps he's going there to worship, but he just walks in. He looks around. 
And we're told he leaves. He goes home. He leaves the city, goes to the suburbs, to the town of Bethany, where he stays with his friends, probably Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he wakes up on Monday, the Monday before Friday, when the whole world would change. And that Monday morning, he travels back to Jerusalem. No parade on this Monday morning. He enters quietly and he goes into the temple. And you wonder what happened that night in Bethany as he took in all that he saw in the temple. He enters the temple and he gets angry. Holy anger. The kind of anger you get when you see injustice. Whatever he saw that night before, he went home. He stewed on it. He thought about it. Should he do something? He had to do something. But maybe, maybe he shouldn't. After all, the pressure was already mounting. They were already trying to capture him to kill him. But he had to do something. Jesus had to do something. So I imagine he sat at the dining room table in Bethany and made a plan, thought through what he was going to do, got up early, early that next morning before Martha or Mary could stop him and walked by himself to Jerusalem, entered the temple. And then, well, then chaos ensued. He walked to the table. They were changing money, people making profit over the worshipers who had traveled far on Passover week to pay their respects to to their Lord, to offer sacrifices. Yet when they got there, they were told, your money is no good here. You must pay. You must exchange your money. Pay us to give you the right kind of money so you can worship in the right kind of way. And Jesus walks over to this exploitation happening right in the temple and he turns their table of exploitation over. And then he walks over to the dove sellers, these people who were selling animals for sacrifice, a business that was marketed as being convenient for worshipers. You could come and get your dove, but those who arrived with their own dove that they had cared for at home, that they had found, that they had brought with the little money that they had, they were told, well, your dove's not good enough. It's not pure enough. You have to buy another dove. And what were they to do? Turn around and go home? Sacrifice was demanded, the priest said. And so they bought a dove with money they didn't have. And Jesus walked over to the tables, the cages of the doves, and he turns them over. Doves go everywhere. Feathers all over the temple. It's chaos. Jesus yells. He runs them out of the temple. He tore the place up. Jesus, the Son of God, give it a rest, he yells. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you, you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes, those arrogant religious leaders who set the whole system up to profit, who went home and cashed the checks, they saw it and they were furious. And Mark tells us that they began to put into motion the plan to assassinate the Messiah. Now, over the season of Lent, we've been talking about being busy, about how God calls us to rest. We began, if you can remember, back to Lent, it was a cold, cold morning. And Jesus shared those words, that invitation to us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. During This worship series in Sunday school, we've been studying the Ten Commandments. And a few weeks ago, we looked at the commandment of Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, the Ten Commandments says. 
But there's more to the commandment. It keeps going. It's the longest commandment in all the commandments. It says, yes, you remember the Sabbath. You take a rest. You take a break. You make time for God. Because God, well, he took a break. After six days of creation, we're told that God rested on the seventh. And so for six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day it shall be a Sabbath. Sabbath in Hebrew means rest. But the commandment goes on. You should not be the only one to rest, but your children need a rest too. Give them a break. And your livestock, give them a rest. And your servants, the hired hands, the slaves, the male slaves and the female slaves, the text says, give them a rest. Even the foreigners among you, those who don't share your faith, your tradition, your culture, they too deserve a rest. Give everyone a rest yourself and your whole household. And the principle of the Sabbath day is that everyone should work for six days, but get paid enough for seven so that everyone gets a rest. But it doesn't always happen this way, does it? Hourly workers, if given the day off, only lose their pay. People work two jobs to make ends meet restaurants on the weekend so they can feed us after church. Working minimum wage jobs at an Iowa is $7.25 an hour, which at 40 hours a week is $15,080. Not enough to feed yourself, let alone a family. Around the world, workers are exploited in order to produce goods that we can so readily use and discard. You and I, we need rest. We are too busy, but the principle of rest, of Sabbath, reminds us that it's not just us who need rest, but all God's people. Every human, the commandment said, and every animal, too, the ancient text says, give them a rest. Everyone deserves rest. Now, without a doubt, some of the crowd on that Palm Sunday who cheered out, Hosanna, Hosanna, ended up by Friday Outside that kangaroo court chanting, crucify him, crucify him. How fickle our praise, the song we began with saying. We often lose sight. We lose sight of the truth of the gospel that God loves us. God loves us just as we are. And that we don't have to produce to be blessed. We don't have to succeed to be loved. We are imperfect, but God loves us that way anyway. But if it's true of us, well, then it's true of all of God's creation. If we believe it about ourselves, then we must believe it about all humanity. There should not be two parades, but one. Those on the inside and those on the outside together as one and in the temple, in God's house, should be a parade for all people. A house of prayer, Jesus says, for all nations that all God's people can find rest in the house of God. Now, in our church building, which is very much still under construction, in the basement last Wednesday, I saw something beautiful. I was running around. I think I was trying to feed Oliver at the moment. And I walked into one of the back rooms uh, where our children often have Sunday school. And they were doing ELL classes. And there was a group of women in the back room with a young woman at a table. And two of our church members, I think it was... Becky and Betsy, right? You were back there with her? I think so. I don't know. You can hear the story and tell me. But there was two of our ELL. T- no, it was, it was Katie. It was Katie and Betsy. That's right. That's why Becky was, was uh, looking at me. Katie, 
and Betsy were sitting in the back with this, with this young woman who was wearing the hijab. And what's her name? Uh, Selma. Selma? Selma. And so she was back working on a test. She had this math problem. It had lines and these curves and these X's. Oh, that was Doris. That was, okay, we're figuring it out. I should do my research before. It was Doris. Okay, is Doris here? Where's Doris? Oh, there's Doris right in front of me. Yes. And so Doris was back there. And they were working, and they grabbed me. Travis, help us. You're smart. I'm like, you clearly don't know me well. Uh, I had no idea. There were lines, and it was, it was confusing. And so I looked in the next room, and Hannah Jameson was sitting there. Well, Hannah, you're a senior. You took this recently. So we grabbed Hannah, and the, this young woman in our church basement was studying for her GED, wearing the hijab, a young Muslim woman surrounded by all these Christian women helping her. And Hannah came in, and then we found Mark Durham, and this guy was an accountant. Mark knows math, so we sent Mark back there. And four of our church leaders helped Selma do her math problem. And they figured it out, and I thought later, how inefficient Four people, like 30 minutes, helping one person. One person in the basement of the house of God, helping her do math. And you know what? The table didn't turn over, not literally. But there at the table, God's rest came. Injustice was combated. Hope was given with this math problem that I don't even have to remember. And yet this young woman needs to remember to get her GED. And right there, the Somali refugee woman who had left so much and who had found her way into our church basement found rest from a burden that she was unable to bear on her own. And together, four people inefficiently carried it for her because sometimes that's what it takes. And that's the call of Palm Sunday. It's not just a parade in here, celebrate the love and the rest that God gives us, though we celebrate and we take that rest because we need it. But then we parade out of here and we carry that rest to those who so desperately need it as well. To turn over tables if we need to, if they're in the way. To run the exploiters and the crooks out of the way if we have to. So that all can find rest. As church, we worship, but we also turn over tables. Waving palms and turning over tables, maybe that should be our mission statement as a church. For we must never, ever be so busy that we miss what God is doing in the world and what God is calling us to do. May God's people who believe in this shout Hosanna and amen. 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 Amen.